Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Business Hangover with Nikki and Sarah, where why does business have to always be so serious? We take a light-hearted look at really serious topics that make you a better leader, better person and run your teams and organisations for the future. Well, hello listeners out there again. I am so excited to have Nikki back. Um, pumped and ready at the microphone and we're, and we're going to talk a lot today about um, all connected topics really and it's it's a really fascinating area of uh, lived experience, skill shortage and multipods. So I think you're going to hear a lot, learn a lot and have a bit of fun as we unpack this area of business. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I, you know, I found obviously with the last few weeks have been a bit personally challenging is that this topic really resonates with me because mm. it's about moving from the me to the we. Yeah. You know, what do we want our life to be and how can we capture everything that we do and associate some values? Mm. So we learn through things through lived experience. Yeah. Yeah. We learn other things through more structured learning yeah. um, from people around us, from our tribe that mm. we've talked about before. Um, but we also learn so much by our own style in that, you know, sometimes we get bored. So some people say we're impatient. Other people (laughs) say that, you know, we actually just like the learning journey. Yeah. So we like to pivot and swivel Mm. and do Mm. things differently. And I love, um, we're going to touch in in, in, uh, later on about um, the discovery of the multipod, which connects to that. But look, when you said let's do uh, lived experience as a form to help Uh, secure the skill shortage dilemma that is currently very big in America, but obviously is going to travel worldwide. Um, And I mean, tell tell our lovely listeners more about what do you think? What is lived experience? Look, lived experience to me, uh, you know, when sort of at first started being a, a true discussion point was more about if I've done it before, you know, um, as a coach, I can have compassion because of my own life journey. But I think lived experience is a lot more than that. Mm. Lived experience is about there being differences in title of jobs that we hold. But mm. interpretation, we all come across situations of the need for complex problem solving. Mm. You know, if we're a cleaner versus we're CEO of one of the top 100s. Mm. You know, everything that we do, what changes and varies that lived experience is our ability to apply the principles of the methodology mm-hmm. of how we come up with, you know, with outcomes, how we pose decisions, how we think a bit more laterally. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the other things is that lived experience, and, you know, Sarah, you and I experience it as coach, mm-hmm. is that... You need to build trust quickly, no matter what job you do, no matter what position you yep. hold. And the best way that people can see that is that you've been there, you've done that before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we recently, um, you know, with our work with Griefline, yeah. have done some sessions around, you know, our ability to help people experiencing grief and complex loss is yeah. around the fact that, 
you know, we've all experienced different loss. Mm. We've all experienced different hurdles along our life. Mm. And lived experience teaches us so much, but boy, it's undervalued. You know, Mm. you go for those Mm. jobs and they want to know what organisation you're a member of, Mm. what degree you've done, Mm. how many master's Mm. applications Mm. there are. But, hey, don't undervalue what you learn just through your everyday experiences. Yep. I mean, what you're saying is uh, powerful to me. And we were talking a bit earlier about uh, this article that I saw, um, Vidush, who is a leadership coach and a speaker on TED Talks. He put up a post that says uh, basically the the slogan was hilarious. And it said, um, willfully put yourself through shit. And I think that is what we're saying at some level, which means, you know, the people that have gone through shit in the workplace, that have had the difficult boss, the difficult colleague, the job that they hate and have worked through it, learnt, lived and come out the other end, what they add as leaders and as colleagues and as team members is incredible. It's not the degree they have in their hand or the piece of paper, but it's the lived experience of battling through difficult situations or people and learning how to navigate that. And that you can't teach at uni, no matter what anyone says. No, you can't. And I think it's also, it it gives you really that different lens as to... I've gone through stuff, I've walked out the other side, but I'm also have this embedded quality now that I'm going to ensure nobody else has to sit through. It's like as a mother, I don't know about others or any parent, where you sit back and go, oh, no, I wouldn't do that because my mother used to do that and it frustrated the hell out of me. Mm. Or my dad used to do that, I'm going to be present. And it's the same thing is that when you've experienced anything yourself, personally and professionally, you create strategies and that resilience that Mm. you're not going to place others in that Mm. situation. And I think that's one of the most undervalued Mm. component of Mm. lived experience. Like I'm seeing a trend now, um, particularly at the board level here in Australia. I'm not sure it would be interesting for our OS listeners to um, feed back. But definitely a trend in applications for lived experience. It's, it's not enough that you are passionate or you've got working experience. They're now looking at the board level of, yes, but have you lived it? In what yeah. way have you connected or been with the people that we are servicing? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, where it's really important. It's a bit like, you know, when I talk about customer propositions, you know, I am kind of fond of um, of shopping, hence my new mat at the door saying, shh, not, don't tell my husband there's another package, <laughs> is to think of yourself in the shoes of if it be your team member, if it be your customer. And nearly every situation we find ourselves that we need to make a choice, we need to connect And we need to get that clarity around what are we doing it for in the first place. And lived experience gives you a great deal more value than theory alone. That's right. There is a clause, though, I'm going to chuck out here right now, that lived experienced enough isn't enough. And I was uh, doing an interview um, earlier today uh, with a lovely woman, and um, she was asking about the mindset coaching uh, that we both do. And we were talking about that uh, there is a flood of life coaching, which is based on I've had a life experience 
I've gotten help for it and now I feel that I can go out into the world and coach everyone Mm -hmm. on everything. And unfortunately, lived experience is about the process of learning, of having that lived experience, coming out of it with wisdom and then um, working that wisdom into a bigger picture that is actually based in reality and based in, in intellect and in, I think, the the understanding of people, the awareness of people yeah. um, at a greater level than just saying I've, I've lived that and therefore I'm qualified. Yeah. It's I've lived that and I am qualified. Yeah, and I think, you know, qualifications can come from doing a course. Qualifications come also fundamentally the aligned principle of where lived experience becomes that, that mindset methodology is around even through the lived experience i went through steps mm. and it's the ability to replicate those those mm. and coupling that with being a subject matter expert mm. um is what rounds people and and i stro- so wholeheartedly agree with sarah mm. in that you know life coach is the the you know next career of everyone it's, it's, you know it, it's we've all been there done that before mm. so we must be able to help others but as you know and as we mm. know when you're choosing a coach mm. what are you actually choosing you're choosing their ability to assimilate with what you're going through mm. and rationalize it mm. so lived experience alone won't give you everything no but lived mindfulness and Mm. mindset coupled with lots of other aspects will give you Mm. that full you know bucket of what you need yeah and that's why that um willfully put yourself through shit metaphor Mm. um i love that i love that idea of being fearlessly able to stand in that um, shit fest that's going on around you yep. knowing in the back of your mind if I can only make it through this then um, I can take this as wisdom and I can use this in so many different ways but I can share how I got through it too yeah. and so we are very fearful of you know struggling we are fearful of challenge and and, and conflict and I, I love the idea that if, if we're going to really bounce off lived experience and fill that skill gap that's that's developing rapidly then it's a it's really about training ourselves to be more resilient in those really tough moments so that we can go ah oh, yeah but I will apply that later if yes. I can hang in here and not see it as a but see it as b then it's a learning process and that I can use later on down the track and i think it's also you know you couple that with you know i'm a a big believer i mean one i talk to myself a lot as i know sarah does <laughs> but it's much. really around that self reflection Self-reflection, you know, when you, not only the the things that worked well, but the really crappy days, Mm. you know, what made today more unbearable than another day? Mm. Because what it does is it highlights those triggers, highlights the blockage that got you in that mood Mm. that couldn't allow you to move forward. Mm. And they all become, I mean, to me, I assimilate you know, lived experience is that it's really about popping more exposure to things in my toolkit. And if we're looking for innovation and and creativity as the markers of, you know, who we want to employ in the future and who are we looking for to lead us, you have to have more than your qualification. 
you do have to have a bit of knock around and a bit of lived experience in order to give that extra element that we're looking for, which is a different way of looking at things. It is. And I think, you know, it's gone of the days when I first, you know, started in sort of the people management and leadership sort of functions of it being, well, performance reviews are all about what course do you want to do next? Mm. Maybe it's also about what what mentor, what people, mm. what experiences do I want to associate with? You know, there's when we could travel a lot more, but we can do it. We can do it locally as well and virtually. Mm. In terms of what organisations do we want to be able to be exposed to things that we don't normally get exposed to? Because mm. that's part of what lived experience is. Is that lived experience is expanding your spectrum of what you're exposed to because that builds knowledge yeah yeah um we were talking earlier and and you said particularly in america at the moment there's a skill shortage why is that why do you think america is struggling to fill those spots in the workplace i think because there has um you know in america like lots of other countries there's been this strong divide between the professional and working class. Mm -hmm. And I think what's occurred is that there really hasn't been a recognition of the valuable contribution that everyone makes to an organisation's success, to their individual platform of Mm -hmm. success. And so what we've found is that, you know, during the pandemic, people felt that those, you know, more um, working class roles were dispensable Mm. and what they've found is that more than ever someone's got to do every part of the process there's no point in having an amazing strategy but then at the next Mm. point having no one that has the functional expertise Mm. that has Mm. the foresight to be happy to do it yeah and so we've created this divide Mm. around the fact that we don't see other roles as valuable Mm. As a CEO, in my opinion, the lived experience gained in every single role is what makes the world go round. Do you think we have generated a a work culture at where everyone wants to be the CEO and we are not installing enough pride in being the janitor? Because Absolutely. everyone's a part of the wheel. And I think the pandemic, um, you know, not that we... We want to keep mentioning the, the P word. But I think there's been some great highlights about the value of everyone in an operation, everyone in the organisation. And I'm wondering if we, we got so busy all trying to be the, you know, the, the top enchilada. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that what we've done is negate the small things. Absolutely. And I think what we've done is that we've lost sight of the true importance is everyone is a contributor. Mm. And, you know, this is where we're seeing a lot of skill shortages. I mean, in Australia, you know, without the um, amount of backpackers and international travellers, what we're finding is that there is a huge gap within our agriculture um, and, you know, what were traditionally seen as as non-skilled roles for all the nuts and bolts work. And what we've found is that, you know what, these people have an incredible work ethic. And what we're finding is in Australia is who else is prepared to do that? Mm. Because we haven't placed value. It's not because the role is any less worthy. Mm. It's that we haven't placed value on it. But you don't get the profits on the table. 
if you don't have the people and you value at the source of a product. Well, that's that's a, a really great way of looking at it because if we don't have the pickers, for example, um, and we're not using their experience of travel, of knowing how to do it in different environments and different yep. cultures and different temperatures, and we don't embrace them, um, then why would anyone else want to do that job? So what we've done is set us a, set up for failure and Absolutely. COVID has shown that because we can't import those people in anymore to fulfil those jobs. But we haven't made it enticing or valued it enough for people here to want to do those jobs. That's correct. And I think that's really important because it goes back to your point about why is the CEO the most important role? Mm. I've always been a true believer in the, the closest point to procuring the product and the customer interaction. They're the most critical roles mm. because we're all based on that human connection mm. and the the need that we're looking to fulfill. Yeah. So why don't we switch and we flip? Mm. The CEO gets paid more than the person that's serving the customer every single day. Mm. And this is where lived experience because not every CEO, whilst they absolutely have a role to play, but not every CEO can stand in front of an argumentative customer and be able to turn that into a buying situation. Yeah, yeah, it is the value. And I think maybe that's kind of the message we're trying to say is um, looking at the skills you have in your organisation and, and doing an internal check. Do we value it? If they're gone, if we wipe out that section of our industry or our organisation, what happens? And you can yeah. see the whole, it's like, you know, uh, the, the sticks game, you know, you pull that stick out and everything collapses. That's correct. So how do we value, invest in that, treasure that, reward that? And I'm not mm. talking just money. I'm just, there's many ways you can do it. Yeah. You know, it's opportunities around, you know, should we be like looking less at what our succession path is of job A to job B and looking more at what is our talent pool of competencies. Yeah. And that talent pool is made up of, you know, expertise in performing a task, yeah. but also the mindset, you yeah. know, also that discovery technique, also that person that's willing to jump into a task when they typically sit behind a desk. Yeah. And get their hands Gorgeous. dirty. You know, okay. that's what means. That flattening of the hierarchy. We're all about Absolutely. flattening, except for my stomach. But we're all about flattening, aren't yeah. we? Absolutely. So let's take that. What, my flat stomach? Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Never going to happen now. <laughs> Let's take that whole thought process to that next level around how do you incorporate lived experience and the value and, and talent pool of it into your more structured learning environment? Because in no way are we saying that there's not value in structured learning because mm. we all acquire um, knowledge differently. But how do you give it the same weight? I think to me, uh, structured learning only works when you have incidental learning attached to it. Yep. So while we are in a process of um, an organisational mindset to learn, we, we've got a, a process and there's a, a pattern to it and there's an outcome or an assessment value or anything like that. It is, and if you always look in groups, it's the incidental learning around all those topics that enhances it and embeds it into our framework. 
Yeah. So I think lived experience has definitely a, a huge market in structured learning by the incidental conversations and the adding value of, oh, yes, but I remember when I was 15, you know, serving at our supermarket back in the day, um, you know, I learned X, Y, and Z about you know, difficult customers or difficult colleagues or anything yep. like that. And this is what I did then. And often you'll find it hasn't changed much because being human is, is a really uh, consistent thing. You know, respect, value, care. Uh, these are things that we always want, no matter how old you are or how long you've been in the workforce. So is it really that incidental learning is another a, another word, another descriptor for lived experience? You know what, Nikki? I like that better. I know lived experience is very, you know, now. Yeah. But incidental learning, I think, allows us to understand how we learn, how we apply the lived experience into an everyday format of learning. But more importantly, as you said, um, how do we not make structured learning lose as a part of promoting lived experience? Because we always yeah. do this all or nothing thing. You know, a yeah. new thing happens and we dump the old and we grasp the new and then we realise, oh, maybe the old had some value too. Yeah, and I think because they're complementary. Mm. Structured learning alone will not give you as much as structured learning and incidental learning. Yeah. So probably more where the context is, is that structured learning helps you rationalise the methodology that you acquire through incidental learning. Yeah. So if you could take that incidental learning, that lived experience and say, okay, how does that fit to how I do it next time? And embed that and align that as examples mm. within your more structured learning, mm. wouldn't that expand our and solve our problem of skill shortage? I think it'd go a long way into opening up a conversation about how, how we manage the skill shortage, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's a, a great kind of um, throw out to everyone who's who's got a business and is struggling about how do I um, work with the more formalised training process that we have and this incidental learning. And the only way we get incidental learning is in the group dynamic. Yes. It's in allowing conversations to flow and giving space to relationships building where there is trust and safety to talk about, you know, your, your experiences in the past. Yeah, because I think, you know, it, it really focuses on we have so many subject matter experts, but mm. it doesn't necessarily translate them to being a leader that can transfer knowledge. Mm. Because without the lived experience, you can't put yourself into the context of every individual who learns, who has a different value set, etc. Mm. So I think, you know, combining both and when, you know, if you were choosing a a learning path or a learning methodology, I think it really captures into you're looking for something that not only assesses where you are today, but looks at how do you build that path in the future. Because it may not be a course that you attend. Maybe it's actually, you know, engaging yourself in being a volunteer for an organisation to understand the hardship. It might be an investment strategy in a business that if the choice is from a consumer mm. to take a product mm. that is non-renewable or mm. uses up our, our mm. you know, forestry products. Don't you want to align yourself with an organisation that focuses on reforestry processes and practices? So it's mm. all about choice mm. and the understanding impact of our choices. Yeah, I agree. I think there's some really great points there. 
And I'm also thinking is is shifting the dynamic. And again, we're you know back to flattening things. But um, you know, instead of thinking that the C-suite and above hold the knowledge, it's actually allowing and allocating the other members of the organisation to hold the knowledge, like using mm. them as the resource to lead rather than instruct them on how to lead. And of course, you know, we've got to be careful again that we're not saying everyone who's in an organisation has this capacity. It goes back to what we're saying. Wisdom is the ability to learn, live, and then be able to share that in a constructive way. Yeah, look, absolutely. It's a bit like I was talking to um, a client the other day, and um, it was a new client that I was talking to. And I asked them what was their organisational structure because they were having some challenges with dynamics of sort of the more senior members of the team. I said, do they have positional authority over others? And they said, no, there is no hierarchy. It's all about everyone as a contributor to an outcome. And whilst that's great, you've got to have a lot of systems around it and still some methodology because Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter, in my opinion, where where the subject matter sits, it's their ability and opportunity to contribute. Mm. And, and to move and change, adapt, upskill absolutely. as the businesses grow. And that, that stalling measurement, we, we, have, we have a method of, of identifying the stalling yeah, that's process right. in, in careers. Um, but, yeah, Nikki, I think, yeah, I think there's some interesting stuff to flesh out there. I, I wonder how many businesses are going to be inspired to sit down at their board meetings or their, you know, their team management meetings and, and asking themselves, where is our incidental learning or lived experience people? Yeah. Where, where's that knowledge sitting in our organisation? And how do we value it and capture it better? Mm. Because I think it's the where, you know, going back to that stalling of learning in an organisation, it's that we keep it too closely held in the pockets where it's acquired mm. And the only way anyone grows is the ability to transfer that. And that makes me think of the, you know, the, the, the kind of cultural thing we have about knowledge, like knowledge is power and, you know, you, you, the more knowledge you have, the more power. We're actually arguing against that. We're saying knowledge Absolutely. isn't power. Knowledge is um, shared and knowledge is only power when shared. That's right, because knowledge in its own right is actually a blockage. Mm to others acquiring knowledge and others applying their individualised thought process to maybe bring out the gem that you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, share your knowledge. That's what we're saying. That's share correct. And, and and not use it as your self-imposed blockage or staller. Mm. Just because you acquire and you get to a certain level or you want to be the next CEO of the future doesn't mean that it's a path that continues to mm. stop and I, I suppose it really leads into you know Sarah's um, latest buzzword um, <laughs> and research around yeah. multipods yeah yeah it does so multipods let me tell you about tell this. Tell me all about it because, <laughs> oh, you know, no, I'm I... thinking of a, you know, multi-level coffee pod or a new <laughs> oh. home that has a multiple levels. Yeah. It's a pod. Well, look, I was just mucking around looking at things and I was, I was listening to a TED Talk by Emily Watnick. And I thought, what on earth is she talking about? And then I went, oh, my God, that's, that's us, Nikki. It is we, us. It, we, are, we are called multi-potentialites. 
and multipods for short. And what it really means is we never ever had one true calling and we are these um, absorbers of knowledge, excitement, careers, ideas. And my mother said from, uh, from the word go, Sarah, you make me laugh. You do something, you get success and accomplish it, and then you drop it and move on to the next thing. And she, she actually thought it was hilarious how I would just go, yeah, well, I'm bored now with that. I've done that, you know. I've learned all I need to know now for that. I'm sated and I'm off on my next target. And my um, business coach, lovely David, used to say, well, you've got the mind of an entrepreneur. But I, I didn't really think I had an entrepreneuric mind because I'm not that thirsty. Yeah. You know, that I'd sort of, no offence, sell my soul in order to, to achieve that level of success. So... I went into it. I looked into it, Nikki. So uh, these are the things we know about multipods. It really means you don't have one true calling. You kind of have that, yeah, I got this. <laughs> and then that drives your disengagement with whatever you're doing. And you go off and find your new buzz, your new thrill, which you and I do. Yeah, we do it every constantly, day. Yeah. And I think it, it goes back to probably a lot of our focus is around if I had to pick the most critical skill set that I want in someone is not necessarily what they've done before, but their thirst for the discovery mindset. Yeah, yeah. And we we can't not dive into that. So it was look, it was a really interesting thing. Um, I don't agree with all of it. Yeah. Um, I like the idea that it's the, the move away that by being many things or having many interests or many career paths, that that's not a dysfunctionality, that that's actually a, a multipod. It's, it's a drive to know and then move on and then drive to know. And it's a collection of wisdom and a collection of knowledge. So I love that. The Do you think that also um, validates the, you know, I know as, you know, doing many um, phases of recruitment over the years, when people look at resumes and go, oh, my goodness, they jump around to a different job every 12 months, two years, and people in the in the past, and still a lot of people now, look at that as why. Yeah. And look at it as more of a shortcoming. Mm. But what I'd really suggest is why don't we switch it? And rather than put that resume to the side, why don't if there's something in that resume that's of interest, mm. get that person and ask them what they learned from that period as opposed to making the presumption that it means they can't stick at anything. I think that's a fantastic idea because we do, and I, I'm guilty of it, Yeah, of looking at, um, even though I do it myself, <laughs> looking at resumes and going, man, you, you're switching every couple of years here. So either you're missing the mark, you're applying for jobs just for money yep. and getting bored and leaving, or every couple of years you're wearing out, you're burning out, either the, you're burning the business out or you're burning yourself out. The idea is that as us multipods um, out there, we excel in idea synthesis. And what that really means is we are really great at combining two different ideas to be creative and innovative. Mm -hmm. And I like that idea because I think that that sits nicely with how I like to think. You know, I'm always grabbing things. And another sign of a multipod 
And again, it just makes me laugh because these are the things my family say to me all the time. So, you know, I've got the, you have, we're in Nikki's office right now, but she's got, you know, one, two, three screens going. We've got whiteboards, we've got stickies up, we've got phones going. And that's the only way that we can attend. It's not ADHD yes. or ADD. It's actually the absorption, the fast processing of knowledge and moving it really quickly. And I think that's a nice thing. It's, it's called rapid learning. And I call it go hard, observe, absorb and own. We come in, we go hard, we learn it and then we move on. But I think it also extends to therefore the ability to be able to always say, of course I can. Mm. Because what we don't know. We find out. We find out. Mm. But we also have that, you know, multipods have that ability and the internal focus to be able to take something new apply blend mm, transferable skills big and thing. that's correct and mm. it does go back to that everything we've talked about mm. that to be a multipod to be that ability to be the ceo that can juggle anything in a completely new industry is because of the fact that they're a multipod i, I reckon we need to uh, throw it out there to all c-suites and business owners um, and even start-uppers mm. uh, about if you're, you're resonating with this. We are, we are morphing creatures. We, we adapt very fast, adjust to any situation. But there's, a, you know me. There's a downside. There's a us. downside. I'm always looking to, yeah, 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 that sounds great. And I could, you know, get a T-shirt saying I am a multipod and feel very proud about it. And at least it explains the way I work and the way my career path has always been and, 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 and. Yes. But um, part of looking at this was to tap into Barbara Sher's work, and she's got a book, and she calls them scanners. She calls uh, multipod scanners. But I don't want to be a scanner. See, scanners have a lot of the multipod stuff, but that they, they aren't successful, and I think that's the difference between a multipod. A multipodder is successful. They achieve in what they do. They do it. They do it really well. They hit the mark and then they go, that's enough. I need to learn more. Whereas scanners looking at um, Barbara's work um, often fail. They often underachieve and they often aren't very successful. So I, I think there's a big difference and they between stall. a scanner and a multipod. Yeah, I think, um, you know, they they tend to stall. The only, the only downside though you know, of a multipod is that they also therefore get incredibly frustrated. <laughs> what? Us? <Yeah>. No. <laughs> with when other people stick to their lane. Oh, yes. Yes. And they get, we get frustrated by the fact that they can't conceptualize outside their lane. So one of the, the challenges of blending organisations that do have people that stick to their functional expertise is, not, is a multipod balancing, not getting frustrated and instead apply their, you know, well-crafted ability to transfer knowledge in the language of a different yeah. audience. I think that's an enormous amount of my coaching work is training people to be a little bit of a multipod. Yeah. You know, allowing them to understand the freedom of letting go and the freedom yeah. of embracing something that could be new um, with the unknown. But, yes, you're right, and, and I'll put my hand up 
definitely in the past, in my past, um, meeting people who are just um, so stuck. They're like those bowling alleys with the sides up. Yeah. You know, the ball can only go one way. There's no, you know, falling out into the sides. And we do have to be multipods. We have to be a bit compassionate for those that can't think on five levels at one time and still produce um, a successful outcome. That's right, because, you know, we are well recognised when people walk into, you know, if other people walked into the office today and looked at all the bits of paper <laughs> around the wall and this mad brain dump on our whiteboard, then people would look at it and yeah. go, that makes no sense. Yeah. So there has to be contextualising and there has to be that balance with accepting and helping formulate and and bring others on that journey as well because it can be something where you're all you know guns are blazing and you're full of energy but other people go hang on a sec mm. I've got to catch up yeah as, so, as we say in the industry you've got to walk with your client not run ahead that's and even exactly though mentally right. you're five steps ahead yeah you've got to slow that down and go if I don't walk with them I lose them I'll be so far ahead they won't be able to catch up that's correct and I think that comes back to you know that really we wanted to talk about, you know, today was all about solving that skill shortage. Mm. So balancing all of those and just like where lived experience needs more value mm. attributed to it, to not lose sight of the value of structured learning. The essence of where you're truly successful is the ability to blend that mm. so that we can be multipods, but maybe multipods with a bit more focus. Yes. <laughs> and attention span. And, and that's a skill, a teachable skill. It is it a teachable is, skill. It is definitely a skill. We wanted to kind of wrap it, mm. wrap it up in, in that mm. sense that never be afraid but also be fearless enough mm. to say, I really need to know what exists within me, mm. within my leaders, but also across every element of my organisation. Let's not just do a spreadsheet or a data dump out of a HR system on succession planning. Yeah. Let's actually capture the why. Mm. Let's actually capture where those pockets of knowledge are and how they can be tweaked or applied to involve and engage more people in your overall mission because all of that will put more profit on the table absolutely because they're engaged they're mm. participating mm. and ultimately delivering a far better outcome to everyone and again value when we feel valued we we give 110 absolutely Okay, so let's look at our distractions, the fun bit of how you and I manage to be both incredibly good at what we do and still make an ass of ourselves. Yeah, look, I think, you know, it is actually a skill set that we've probably mastered nearly as well as... <laughs> it's one of our multipod skills. It is one of our multipod skills, um, but we continue to expand on it every day because <laughs> we're uncoordinated oh, and... <laughs> really just don't always get that balance you know a lot of people talk about self-care and self-care about doing you know um, yoga or taking a breath or going for a walk now we're in lockdown so the only reason to leave the house is really to do critical work um, essential work or to you know go out and do exercise well I do the critical work but I don't necessarily do the exercise and <laughs> 
And what I found this week was that um, that came back to bite me because <laughs> it's I shouldn't a laugh. But it's a, it's I'm either I know I'm unfit, but it's also I'm either also incredibly old because <laughs> I managed to put my back out this week purely just by walking. And upon correction from the chiropractor, apparently I have a saggy pelvis. <laughs> oh, they must. Ouch, I mean, they shouldn't be allowed to call a woman's pelvis saggy. No, I that's mean, the correct. imagery, Nikki, the imagery is that's just correct. <laughs> but what it also made oh, me do dear. is to, you know, because of course I'm, I'm groaning about how much pain I'm in. Um, but what it also does is makes you laugh at yourself. Oh, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they really say that laughter is the best medicine. Yeah. Laugh and learn lessons, that's what we yeah. call them. Laugh and learn. And, yeah. and, and so my laugh and learn, uh, really learning this week, yeah. has been about the fact that um, all those times it probably is of... I'm at that point where I should probably do at least something because otherwise, you know, other parts of me will fall apart. Just well, there'll be a lot of saggy bits if that Well, my, uh, my distraction, this was, uh, again, in the lines of um, something that I, I truly am addicted to, and that is, well, there's two things. Trying to use metaphors because I can't and um, humiliating myself in a public forum. So we've done a fair bit of training and development this week and um, on the Zoom, uh, waiting for a breakout room as you do. And there's, you know, fair amount of people that I've never met before. Um, And in this position, sort of we were in the leadership position, you know, have to behave ourselves apparently. I can't. So I start dancing to a tune in my head or a song I'm singing actually in my bad croaky voice. And I'm looking at the people as a gasp <laughs> as they're watching this stupid woman do some bad 80s moves on Zoom for no reason. I mean, what possessed me? Anyway. You know, Sarah's not well known for, uh, well, sorry, <laughs> she is well known for not remembering where the mute button or where the uh, turn the camera button off is. So as I'm sure you've all experienced oh through this world of Teams and Zoom, is that, you know, the best laid skills right now is to find those buttons no, and learn to master them. They annoy me. It annoys me that I have to mute and unmute. That's correct. That's because she can't interrupt as often. So, but look... You know, thanks again for joining us. Um, great to be back. Great to uh, be it's good to finding have you ways. Back. I was lonely. To... Yeah, she's you know, and she's not quite you. as funny without me. Um, <laughs> True. But you know, thanks again. Can't wait till um, next podcast. Watch this space. We're doing lots of oh. work of some really cool stuff. Before we go, I just want to give a big shout out. Um, my gorgeous brother, who was. Um, Two, two episodes ago, go back and listen to him. Um, you know, the the guy with the Midas touch, as we call him. He's, he's got a really short, amazing, insightful, thought-provoking and scary book called The Insanity of Ideas. He's just put out on Amazon.com. I, everyone should go and read this because it's, it's, it's a really unusual way of looking at human beings, our evolution and technology. It's not a big book. Um, I'm, I've got it, I've ordered it, and um, even though I would get a free copy, I thought I'd put some money in his coffers. Um, and I'm going to talk about it on our podcast because Fantastic. I think it's going to be a really, really interesting topic. Fantastic. 
All right. We're well, on to your reading. We'll see you next time. Okay. Don't Bye. forget to share. Bye. So thank you for listening to another one of our shows. Nikki and I are so pleased that you're dropping by and having some fun and learning along the way. You can reach out to us at nikkimackie at peopleassets.com.au at hellosarahgodfrey at gmail.com at our websites nikkimackie.com.au peopleassets.com.au sarahgodfrey.com.au um, at our Insta, Sarah Godfrey AU and Nikki Mackey 91 and on our LinkedIn sites, Sarah Godfrey and Nikki Mackey. Hope you enjoyed it all. Catch you next time. So that wraps up another episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to follow us and read the blogs, The Extra Sip. You can uh, share, follow and sponsor us just by contacting us. Find us on Instagram at The Business Hangover, at Sarah Godfrey AU and at Nikki Mackey 92 You can follow us on our LinkedIn at Sarah Godfrey and at Nikki Mackey and on our web business uh, pages, peopleassets.com.au, nikkimackie.com.au, sarahgodfrey.com.au and movingmindsets.com.au. Okay, until next time.